Hello, welcome to the BNA uh, Talks podcast. Uh, this is Wayne Massey. Hi, if we've not met. Um, I'm sat in the car park at Bristol Rovers, um, where I'm the club chaplain. I've taken my lateral flow test and I have to wait until I'm allowed into the building for it to go negative. So I thought what we would do while we wait is we would have a go at Mark chapter 3. So, again, if this is your first time, I'm going to read and talk through the chapter. Shall I pray for us as we start? Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that your word is living and active. And we pray that as we open up your word now, that our spirits would soar, that we would hear truth about who you are, about what you're like and the difference that you make. Amen. Excellent. Right. So, Mark chapter 3, reading verse 1 to 6. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So Mark's begun uh, with these controversies that, that have come with this person of Jesus. So Jesus claims that he can forgive sins. He welcomes, accepts sinners. Um, his disciples don't fast and he breaks. He, appear, he appears to break the Sabbath laws. And here we are again on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And there's this guy with this withered hand there. And the, the Greek there is almost like a plant. You know, if you've ever had a plant on a windowsill and you've never watered it and it withers up, that's the kind of picture. Uh, and in the text, we get this sense that they're watching him. They already know Jesus, oh, he's going to heal because they've already spotted what Jesus' heart is like and, and who he is for. So it's almost like here we are in a scenario. There's a guy with a withered hand. Of course, Jesus is going to heal. So even his enemies are already spotting what Jesus' heart is like. And the question is here is, is what really honours God? Jesus' heart to restore and to heal this man, are there slavish following of the Sabbath laws which are taking them away from a relationship to God? I wonder how different our culture is, you know. Um, do we want a tame church with rules and regulations or do we want a free church where the compassion and the power of Jesus breaks out? Jesus is distressed at their stubborn hearts. Um, reminded me of Pharaoh from the story of um, Moses. Um, Pharaoh had a hard heart. And what lies there behind that is this sense that you, they already have a fixed perception of this is what um, our world looks like, this is what church should look like, this is what culture should look like. And they cannot see beyond their fixed perception, despite the fact that God himself and Jesus has come amongst them. And all Jesus says to this guy, do you notice, is he just simply says, stand up and stretch out your hand. It's all Jesus does. Um, and his hand is healed. Jesus turned everything upside down. And the question is, is when we encounter him, do we have a fixed perception like his enemies? Or are we willing to follow his call uh, in compassion and in love? There's a shift that happens in the gospel. The Pharisees go out and now begin to plot with the Herodians. They're kind of their enemies as to how they might kill Jesus. People are uniting around the fact that this Jesus is causing them all sorts of trouble. So that's one to six. Let's read on from verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. 
When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. He had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So it's already expanding. Tyre and Sidon, they're not part of Israel. So Jesus, already his popularity is stretched behind the nation, beyond the nation. You know, these miracles are making him popular. I love the getting into a boat. It's like it's like a stage. Um, we know that Luke has Jesus preaching from a boat by the shore as well. It would have been something that he would have done around the lake. And they're stretching out to reach him because they have this belief that bodily contact releases healing power. Now, we know that that's not the case. We can pray and see God from work from afar. But the thing we need to remember in this kind of COVID age where we've got used to being on Zoom is that actually we are physical beings. And so we know that physically being present actually um, matters. And then, of course, the impure spirits, they see him. They know who he is. You are the son of God. Um, Then uh, there's something I want to introduce us here to, and it's called the messianic secret. He gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Mark has this theme about Jesus doing these healings and people recognising who he is and him saying, but don't tell anybody. Um, the reason there is that Mark links um, the Son of God, uh, the Son of Man, the Daniel chapter 7, which we talked about a few weeks ago, to the suffering servant from Isaiah. And in Jesus' day, the Jews did not see the Messiah and the suffering servant as one and the same. And at this point... They are seeing Jesus for his teaching, wow, and his miracles, Yay! but they not have yet understood that he must suffer. And so the purpose of the messianic secret at this point is, is actually he, it, it's waiting for the full revelation, for the cross, uh, and for an understanding of that's how things are. And without an appreciation of Jesus' suffering, his, we don't fully ever understand him as Messiah, because actually he suffers in our place, and it's, um, he, he's called... He's come to fix the righteous. Do you remember that from, from last week? Um, to say, Not to fix righteous, forgive me, but to save sinners. And so we need to kind of hold on to that and remember that actually the cross is key. And, and to a culture that doesn't yet understand that, Jesus is just saying to people who are beginning to get who he is, but not fully, shh, wait. So that's the messianic secret. It's not that Mark didn't know who Jesus was. Or it's, it's actually that the cross is the key thing. And we're waiting for the cross. So that was introducing you to the uh, Mark's theme of what's called the messianic secret. But just again, notice crowds are following Jesus. They're coming for healing. Um, impure spirits are noticing who he is. Let's read on. Verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside. So whenever Jesus goes up on a mountainside, that's really important. It's linking him to um, the Old Testament. Things happen on mountains. God reveals himself. The law is given. Um, so Jesus goes up on a mountainside and called to, to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12. Aha! Another Old Testament theme. 12 um, tribes, 12 disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. The call on the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, was to reveal the ways of God to the world. The call on the 12 uh, apostles is to reveal the ways of God to the world. So Jesus is constituting like this new, this new Israel and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. So as we read this, we know kind of, we should know the story. So we know that he will give the name uh, Peter, Rock, to him in Caesarea Philippi later on. 
James, the son of Zebedee, I always love that, it always makes me think of the magic roundabout, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bogenares, which means the sons of thunder. We don't know why, but it might have something to do with their hot-headedness. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, who's always listed last. The other interesting one is a lot of people writing about the gospel say this is proof that um, these are real, in that actually if you were making this story up, you wouldn't have the son of God who knows all picking the guy who'd betrayed him as one of his key 12 characters. So Jesus has called the 12. He's, um, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, recollect, uh, a recollection uh, and a kind of a reframing of the call of the people of Israel uh, to, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to demonstrate the kingdom of God in power. So these apostles have been commissioned and sent and they've been given authority. Authority over demons has been given to them. And of course, this is the call on us, the church. We aren't the 12 uh, disciples, we're not the original apostles, but we are called to be with Jesus, to preach the good news of the kingdom, and we are given authority. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore go. We're given authority to make disciples, but also over the demonic. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that you have been called, that you have a purpose to preach the kingdom and to demonstrate it in power? That's the call on us, the church. It's the first line on, in our job description. Let's read on. Reading from verse 20. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered. They're always gathering these crowds. So that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That's a mad crowd. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. Jesus called them over, began to speak in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, nobody can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. That's up to verse 30. Let's pause there. So what's going on is... um, You've got this guy, Beelzebul, we call him Satan. He was originally a Canaanite god. Um, that's really interesting because actually some of the gods of our cultures can be demonic. Actually, some of the gods of our culture are demonic. What does our culture lift up? What does our culture value that actually the enemy might be behind? It's a really challenging thing because the Canaanites thought Beelzebul was a good guy. But actually, he's demonic. Um, a really good point in this when he starts speaking to them in parables about, you know, they basically go, look at him, he's driving out demons, he can only do this by demons. And he goes, well, hold on a second, why would Satan drive out Satan? You know, if a kingdom is divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. Brilliant, brilliant logic. The goal of Satan is his preservation and our destruction. So actually, why would he destroy himself? And so what Jesus is saying is, hold on a second, there is another one here who is stronger. So that's a lovely illustration about plundering another man's house. You've got to tie the strong man up before you can take over his house. So Jesus is saying, well, who can tie up the strong man that is the demonic, that is Satan? Only God himself. It's a reminder that we, the church, have been drawn into and a part of this cosmic battle. That this isn't just what we kind of see and touch around us, but actually there's a spiritual um, battle going on in the heavenlies around us. Thinking back to Daniel, um, he, he has a visit and he's told by the angel who comes to visit him that he was delayed by the prince of Persia. Paul in Romans talks about principles and powers and authorities. So we know that there's a spiritual battle. 
And Jesus basically says, don't confuse what God is doing uh, with what I am doing. Because actually, with, yeah, with them, with what Satan is doing, forgive me there. Don't confuse what I'm doing with what Satan is doing. God is at work. God is more powerful. He is the one who will tie up the strong man. And now, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is uh, denying who Jesus is uh, and ascribing to Satan uh, the works of Jesus as Lord. It's a, it's a refusal to see the truth of who Jesus is. That's, that's the, you know, and, and actually it has eternal consequences. It has eternal consequences. So do we know who Jesus is? Do we ascribe to him all that he can do? Do we remember that we are in a spiritual battle and pray and lean in? We have the authority over the demons, remember? So actually the last, chap- the last couple of sections, last section, sorry, he said, you've got authority over demons. And here we have um, a story about demonic warfare. I'm pausing as I'm thinking about this. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Um, That uh, is a really, really, that's verse 28, truly, I tell you. He says it 13 times a month. That means listen. Um, Listen. So actually, getting a culture to recognise who Jesus is is the most important thing we can do. We say follow Jesus together, make a difference in the lives of others. Enabling people to see who Jesus is is the biggest difference that we can make because it has eternal consequences. So there's a spiritual battle going on. Jesus is top trumps in that spiritual battle. We're on his side. Let's get involved. And let's call out the culture around us and where we see the demonic at work. Let's read on. So then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. So Jesus has family. Standing outside, they sent somebody in to call him. You know, they don't want to go in. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asks. He looked at those seated in a circle and he said, here are my mothers and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So it's clear, as I said, that Jesus has a family. But it's also clear that a new community is forming around the person of Jesus and the will of God. Um, It might be that other people who are following Jesus and reading Mark's gospel are facing the same um, type of rejection from their families. We know in John's gospel there's a section about being kicked out of the synagogues. So actually to follow Jesus comes at a cost. Um, One of the sadnesses I think for our world is that, especially in this kind of post-Christian West, is that we might have forgotten that. But there is a cost to following Jesus. And for the early church, um, and actually for Jesus, it was kind of your family possibly rejecting you. So we need to pray that people accept Jesus and are willing to pay the, the price maybe relationally for accepting Jesus, but also that actually their family and their friends and their loved ones also accept Jesus as well. The family is the most significant of ancient relationships. It was the place where you were brought up. It would be the place in which you would die. It was the place and the people who looked after you. And so actually to be rejected by your family is huge. But Jesus says, I'm forming a new family. It's around me and it's around the will of God, whoever does God's will. So, have I said yes to Jesus? Do I understand that those who have said yes to Jesus are, um, we are all brothers and sisters together and with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that actually that is our number one identity. I am a child of God. John says that in his gospel. To those who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is amazing. There is so much. I think I've been, I don't know how long I've been. There's so much in this chapter. So he's healing. Let's just recap. He heals on the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, He has compassion. Um, 
But the people who, who are there have a hard heart. They have a fixed perception. Is my perception ever fixed? What is the Lord saying to me? There is no full understanding of Jesus and, and his, who he is without understanding the cross and him as suffering servant. Do I understand that that's because of my sin and my rebellion? And have I said yes to him for that? I'm not one of the 12, but I am, in his, but I am a member of his church, his family, and I have been called to preach the kingdom and to display it in power. Is that my job description? Is that the first line? And do I know uh, that I'm in a cosmic battle? And, but Jesus has power over the demonic. He has given me that power and authority as well. Uh, and that actually we pray and we look for what's happening in the spiritual um, as much, if not more, than what we can see with our own eyes. And then finally, Jesus has invited me into his family, a new family centered around him and the will of God. Um, do I know that, that I am a child of God no matter what? So as we say each week, here are three sort of topics for you now to think about. Number one, what have I heard about God that struck me? Number two, what did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? And number three, what truth from this chapter um, do, strikes me for those I love and those I serve? So what did I learn about God? What did I need to hear as a follower of Jesus? And what truth for those I love and serve? God bless and we'll, uh, we won't see you, but you'll hear me next week for Mark chapter 4.